Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Lester Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Again, joined by William Gardner, our football analyst. William, uh, we, we did a show a week ago, and we've got some announcements here with the coaching staff. You know, first off, I wanted to get your thoughts on Chris Wilson being elevated to uh, defensive coordinator. Well, I'm excited about that. I'm excited if, if for no other reason than to keep him here. Uh, Chris has been a real nomad in his coaching career, and he's been pretty good at what he does. So it's good to keep him around, keep that continuity with the guys up front on the defensive line. I also think that uh, he brings a level of experience, football experience, to that defensive coordinator position that Tyson Summers just didn't have. Um, I mean, Chris Wilson's been around the game. I mean, I, I remember him as a player back in the 80s, I think, but uh, he is been a defensive coordinator twice before um coached at the nfl coached he's coached at oklahoma southern cal georgia colorado um so he's been around the block a few times and i'm I'm excited about it uh and then he he will have guys on this staff that he knows and understands and and he the other thing is he's already here and he knows the players so he doesn't have to get to know these players to see how they fit into whatever he wants to do defensively. He will have been here a year with them and can hopefully put together a defensive plan that fits with what he has coming back. One of the things that I heard that Tyson Summers did that Carl Durrell didn't really like was the fact that there were often linebackers in pass coverage in not ideal situations, you know, mismatches out there. And so it'll be interesting to see how Chris Wilson fixes that while still trying to be aggressive because I think that's one of the things we saw Tyson Summers was okay this is what we have to work with defensively so if we get to third down we're going to pin our ears back and we're going to go after that quarterback and there are going to be mismatches as a result of that I'm I'm anxious to see how Chris Wilson in, in his scheme shows itself in that sense in terms of avoiding those bad mismatches while still trying to be aggressive well, and that's the balance, the balance that you have to kind of strike somehow, or, or maybe you don't, maybe if you're aggressive enough, you don't need to balance it. You know, if you can get to the quarterback quickly on a regular basis, it makes all the difference. I think, uh, you know, there's at least one play I think that everybody would bring to mind from the last season. I think we would scored a touchdown, the touchdown scored against us when we had a wide receiver covered by a linebacker. And from a good source, that was a bad call by Summers and, and, there, there was heat between he and, and Carl Durrell on the sidelines as a result of it. I mean, Carl Durrell knows the game. You know, it's not like, oh, he's an offensive guy. He Well, as an the, offensive guy, he knows what he wants to right, exploit from right. the defense, right? Right, exactly, and, and how to see it, you know. And he probably looked out there and said, what the heck, you know, probably saw it even before it came about. So, you know, I love uh, an aggressive defense. But if you don't get there, if you don't get to the quarterback, then you got to stop. I mean, if you can't make the pressure work, if, then then you're gambling for nothing. You know, it makes sense to gamble on something where you have a reasonable chance of winning. But if you're sending all kinds of blitzes and never getting to the quarterback, then there's no point doing it. So, yeah, we saw it really work late during the 2019 season. Those wins over Washington yeah. and Stanford were a result of Tyson Summers and that aggressive mentality. But I, I feel like Carl Durrell is looking, okay, what is my blueprint for the next? 10 years. I don't think he's looking at just 2021. Right. He's almost kind of looking at this as a rebirth of the program. You know, he, he can't say enough. We're flushing 2020. You know, that's, that's fine that we went four and two. And then I won some of these coach, coach of the year awards, but 
I do like the fact that he's not hanging his hat on any of that stuff. No, I love that. And I think that's different from all the last four, however many coaches has been on this merry-go-round. Too many, too many. Yeah, right. All You know, many, my, most of whom wanted to point to last year and go, look how, look what I did there. Well, you know, Carl Durrell knows last year doesn't matter. It's what are you going to do next year? And because you can be fired, we've all seen, you know, you can be fired within a year of when, when almost winning the national championship, the way the game is anymore. So I love that he's not satisfied with how this season went and, um, you know, that he's looking for something different. You know, the other thing that, that we, we need a stronger run defense. I mean, our, our inside linebackers aside from Nate Lamon were just not adequate to the game. And so I don't know how much that played into it or what else was involved in it. But um, so I don't know, it'll be very interesting. I, I don't think anybody really knows what Chris Wilson plans to do with this defense. So that'll be fun to find out. Carl Drell was asked, you know, in terms of the scheme going forward, are they going to be a three, four, a four, three? He didn't want to comment on that. It makes sense. You're a head coach. Why, you know, let the, the secret out of the bottle before you have to. Um, what, what do you think is best for CU going forward based on personnel? And even beyond that, again, we're not, we're not just talking about 2021. It's clear that Carl Drell is here for the long haul. What do you want to see this program look like defensively from a scheme standpoint? here going forward uh i don't know you know i don't know that it matters anymore i mean you, you don't run the zone the basic the base defense like they did 10 20 years ago where yeah. you stayed in it for two or three downs uh you know it, it's more or less a start for from where you bring your package you know the the four three is is more designed to bring pressure on the quarterback from the lineman and the three four is the opposite bring the pressure from the outside linebackers um you know in, in, in the four-man front, you need to find those defensive ends who can rush the passer and and hold the edge. In the uh, three-man front, you got to find those nose guards that are hard to find. So there's always going to be one aspect of it that's that's a, a a difficult thing to recruit to. In terms of what we have right now, I'm, I'm thinking it looks to me like our recruiting class this year. We recruited some guys that look to me to be defensive ends in a four-man front. Those more six four, 250, 260-pound type guys. And I think we have some guys at outside linebacker who can put a hand down and play that spot as well. Um, but then we, you know, the other thing is, is it's easier to recruit defensive linemen for a four-man front. Uh, you need fewer of them, and you don't need that ginormous guy who can control both A-gaps at the same time. So I don't know. I, I don't care, to be honest with you. I like both defenses. I've coached both defenses. Um, I, I just want to see a well-coordinated defense. I think in terms of our linebackers, we'd be better off in a 4-3 because I'm not sure we got a lot of linebacker depth right now, particularly inside. I, I guess I don't really care which one we have going forward. I just want to see it work. Well, with the star back position, if you go to a four-man front, you're probably looking at more of a 4-2-5 than you would be a, an actual 4-3, right? Yeah, something like that. And so you wouldn't really have outside linebackers. The question in that situation is, what do you do with a Carson Wells? Does he put a hand on the ground? And if so, does that neutralize some of his ability? He know. played with his hand in the ground. I think pretty much older outside linebackers played with a hand in the ground in high school, but they don't really have the length that you would like at that position. Right. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you know, you got you you like more of a six four, six five guy with long arms to take on those offensive tackles coming out of a stance. Um, so I don't know, they're, they're, 
I'm not sure that we're ideally set up personnel wise for a four man front, but I think we can make it work. Shannon Turley takes over CU's strength and conditioning program. And William, this is one of the, the more lauded hires that CU's had in a very long time, just given what he did at Stanford. I've heard off the record what happened, why he got fired at Stanford. And I'm telling you, I don't want to put it on the podcast, but it really is not that big of a deal. And it's not something that would have gotten him fired from pretty much any other Power Five program out there. Well, and I wonder about that. You know, you know, coaches are funny and they have egos. And, and in the back of my head, I wonder if, if uh, uh, Shaw maybe wanted credit for his own um wins at Stanford. I mean, I think most people looked at Stanford and said uh, they're very much a product of what Shannon Turley built there in terms of that strength program because they went out and really bullied people. And so it's very exciting to have him come in here. Uh, and I don't know, you know, maybe it's just a coincidence. I'm not a big believer in coincidence, but uh, the last two years, suddenly without him, Stanford's no big shakes. And they had the same guys that they've been recruiting all along. So what happened? I think he's a guy who is a program changer, uh, both in terms of what he's going to do with the guys up front on both sides and also in terms of injury reduction. Because, you know, like that one article I read talked about how I think he reduced injuries his first year at Stanford by something like 80 percent, which is unheard of. That's not it's, sustainable. You can't expect that, obviously, no, at CU. No. But it's, a, it's very encouraging to see that he was able to pull that off. Right. You know, and, and, and especially, you know, and they weren't playing a sort of a wide open seven on seven style of football. They were playing hit you in the mouth football and to, you know, reduce the injuries when you're playing that kind of physical football is, is doubly exciting, frankly. Everything I've heard, William, is that the players absolutely loved him. You know what he reminds me of is Dave Foreman that it can actually connect to the players because he, you know, when Dave Foreman was at CU, he was cutting edge. He had all these ideas, all these things that he wanted to do with the players, but he could not connect with them. So we talked about this on our last podcast that if you can't do that, then you're going to be a horrible strength and conditioning coach. And that's what happened with Dave Foreman. He got fired as a result. Shannon Turley has that ability to connect, but he's also got the, the cutting edge ideas, which has to make you pretty excited about what he can do with this group that made strides under Drew Wilson. I'm happy that Drew Wilson got a a landing spot there at Kansas State, but Shannon Turley, I mean, you talk to people out at Stanford, and and he's kind of a unicorn in the sense of being able to connect with guys, but also being on the cutting edge with things, you know, with the strength and conditioning program. Yeah, but he also, I mean, you know, I've watched some video from Stanford working out, and, and Foreman was not doing what Shannon Turley does. I mean, I, all, all you got to do is watch the video and you see them in there doing hex bar deadlifts in the Stanford weight room. And, uh, you know, I heard a story from a good source inside the, the weight room saying he, the foreman didn't even know how to do that. That, that was, Somebody had to come to him and say, you need to try this. And, um, you know, I'm sure you remember that, that uh, uh, McIntyre gave him a, an ultimatum a year out before he got fired, said, you got to get him bigger and stronger. Um, and so he was not doing what Shannon Turley does. And so Shannon Turley has, has got very cutting edge ideas. And I love the fact that he talks about, you know, so if we're, if we have guys on the board and you're going to want to see the guy that can bench press 500 pounds, that ain't going to happen. But what you're going to see on the football field, anybody want to tell me that those last 10 years of Stanford linemen looked like wimps because they weren't. But like he said, he talked about, 
uh, I saw one interview where he talked about uh, his 315-pound uh, offensive tackle who was soon to be drafted in the first round. I think he said he can barely barely bench his own body weight. But he's physically, he's functionally powerful in his game. So this is going to be a whole new thing for uh, CU football, I think, and and just a, a total game changer all the way around. And I don't think it's got it doesn't it doesn't require two years for it to work either. Carl Drill mentioned kids nowadays they will follow you, but you got to break down the plan for them. You got to show them this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it. Shannon Turley has did something that they called the goal ladder at Stanford. And it was tailored to each player. Each player comes in. This is what my goal is. And Shannon Turley would kind of break down things in terms of how we're going to get there. It sounds kind of corny, a goal ladder, but again, this generation of kids, they need stuff like that. I don't know that they're any different. I don't know. You know, I mean, coaching kids in in the uh, previous decades or whatever, I guess kids more a while, a long time ago used to go along with things, but that didn't mean you won them over and that they would give you 100% ever. You still had to inspire them and they had to really understand what you wanted in order to get it. I mean, it's one thing to say, yes, sir. And I'll go do it. It's another thing to run through a wall and go do it, you know? So that ability to uh, impact young people and, and, and get them excited about their own future and how they can contribute to it because everybody wants to know how you can help me. But when you can show somebody, here's how you can help you, then you really make a difference in their lives. So I I think he's going to make a huge difference in that area. I think he's going to, I I liked when he talked about um, team goals. There was another article I read about him. He's he's talking about team goals. He said the the first year I was at Stanford, the captains and the seniors put together this list. and It was a long list of goals. He said, my last, he said, my last year there, they got together and had one goal, win the Pac-12 championship. He said, that's how it's supposed to work. You know, you have one big goal and then you work on how you're going to focus to get there. Yeah. Well, Carl Drill said, hey, we're starting from from scratch with the strength and conditioning program. So, again, we thought Drew Wilson did a good job and he did do a lot of good things. But it just kind of shows you where, where the bar is being set with Carl Drill. Uh, again, I don't know if you know, this is a three-year plan. I don't know what's going on inside Carl Drill's head, but it's clear that he just was not happy with things. Even back in 2016, that was a great season, but they were getting beat up in the trenches at the end of the season. And so you, you like where the goal is being set for this program. And, and I'll I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, Uh, William Sherman and Mustafa Johnson, God bless them. I hope they get drafted, but they would thrive under this guy. And, and Shan Turley, is going to put Frank Phillip in the top half of the draft. He's going to put Casey Roddick somewhere in the draft. He's going to give uh, Cannon Ray a shot at the draft because they're going to get developed to the utmost of their ability. And same on the other side of the line, too, I think, uh, with Terrence Lang and some of those guys as well. This guy is going to make a difference in the future of these young men. We're expecting a new inside linebackers coach to be announced this coming week, tight ends coach. Possibly as well. Mark Smith is going to get that inside linebackers job, uh, barring any late hiccups here coming from Long Island University, where he was a defensive coordinator at the FCS level. They didn't play any games this last year, but previously he was at Arkansas as a defensive backs coach and uh, was a recruiting coordinator there as well. Did pretty well. Uh, How do you like him fitting in a little bit more of a younger guy? But, you know, the one thing that maybe we've had question marks about is 
the recruiting juice that this staff is going to have. And I think Mark Smith will fit in well from that side of things. Well, how do you say no to a defensive coordinator whose who's, uh, team gave up zero points last year? Yeah, right. <laughs> I think I think that this, this, you know, I can't get inside the head of Carl Durrell, but this very clearly says to me that Carl Durrell takes recruiting very seriously because this guy, Mark Smith, is known as a recruiter at the, pack, at the uh, Power 5 level, first and foremost, in my view. You look at his time, he, I think he was at Arkansas in two years. He put three guys in the NFL in that time and also landed three four-star players in recruiting in that secondary. And then he has a long background. This, this, is, the, this is the one that's really interesting to me. Long and high-level background coaching in uh, Texas high school football. And I wonder if that's not the key to this hire right there is uh, – the juice to go in there and start taking more big time players out of Texas um, because he's going to know all those coaches and what have you. He's also got stops uh, at SMU in Oklahoma. So that whole region is kind of his DNA. And so I'm excited about that. The question mark is, is he going to be able to coach the linebackers? And boy, we need somebody to do a good job with those inside linebackers this year because we, you know, it's a question mark. Nate Lamon's health and will he be ready to go? And it's certainly a huge question mark who can play beyond him. So I think this is more of a recruiting um, aspect higher, but what's become very clear to me about Carl Durrell is that he takes his time. He does his homework and he has a plan. He's going to fit people into that plan. He is not hiring anybody that he's not convinced can coach players and make them better. And look no further than coach Rod on the offensive line. Is he right? Time will tell. I don't know. I, I can't tell you whether this guy can coach linebackers or not because there's no background to support that statement. But he did a darn good job. Looks like uh, coaching some defensive backs at Arkansas. He's a good recruiter. Yeah, Brian Howell reported that Mark Smith actually interviewed for a, a job at CU last year. And uh, it was a situation where Carl Drill said, we're really interested in you and maybe we'll revisit this a year later. They, in fact, do that. It's clear that with Carl Durrell in charge, you're going to recruit your room. It's a very positional recruiting. And so we saw him make some decisions that maybe were, were questioned by people. He's willing to do that going forward. So yeah. you better you better recruit to your room or you're not going to be a, a coach at CU very long. Well, and, you know, you know, I was there in so I think I came to see you in 83 uh, and Bill McCartney's first season, I think was 82. It gets foggy going back that far, but you know, Bill McCartney fired a lot of guys after his first season and he fired some guys after his second season. He fired some guys after his third season and, and he was not happy until he got the, the staff at every single position who did what they did in the late eighties and turned this thing around. And I, I see a lot of that and no, I'm not saying Carl Durrell's, uh, the next Bill McCartney, don't everybody jump on me. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. But I see the similarity between the two in that respect. And this is the first coach we've had come in here in a long time, willing to fire guys after year one because they didn't get the job done according to what he wants. And, and we've seen way too much of coaches keeping their friends around or guys around because they're not willing to get rid of them. And going back to Mark Smith's experience coaching in the high school ranks in Texas, I've had multiple CU assistant coaches over the years tell me, you fly me out to Dallas, I, I could put a whole recruiting class together out there. Like, you know, we've, we've done the in-state discussion. We're on the same page there. Like, don't, don't, don't make that your priority. Right. 
you know, Dallas and obviously California has got to be part of your bread and butter as well. But that really is where if CU can continue to, to build some pipelines where they need to spend most of their time recruiting. Yeah, they're, you know, they play against better competition down there. They have better coaching down there. Um, they play more down there. Uh, so I, I would much rather see us load up our class from Texas, frankly, even more so than California, um, because they just seem to be tougher, tougher kids and tougher brand of football to me. And, you know, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. And just look at the sheer population of the state of Texas and goodness, we ought to be able to really bring some good players out of there. With the tight ends coach, we haven't heard any rumors as of taping of this podcast. What, what are you hoping to see out of, out of that hire? Um, you know, tight end, tight end position is where you bring in a young guy and you, you, you let him kind of learn how to become a coach, but, but it's also a position where you, where you put a guy who can recruit his backside off. Um, you know, now you want a guy who can coach those tight ends and make them produce and be able to block and learn the plays and catch them. And, and we need to have our tight end be a factor in the passing game. Uh, so that's important. But I, I think more most places, uh, both at the NFL and the college level, tight end coaches, kind of your entry level, get a guy in there that you think is going to be an exciting recruiter. So I'd like to see him bring in a top recruiting kind of guy there. But I also want a guy with some background coaching the tight ends uh, who can get us – get those guys involved in the passing game, especially with the young, some of the young, exciting talent we have at that spot. So uh, I don't know. Um, it, it, I, I think I would want to see somebody who's got a very clear background as a big time recruiter or somebody who's got a very clear background of having put tight ends in the NFL. How big a shoes did Taylor Embry leave there? You know, I thought he was pretty impressive in his yeah. 11 months in Boulder. Uh, but when he left, it was not like a, the sky is falling type of situation. I mean, you, you don't blame him for taking that opportunity, but you also don't, I don't necessarily worry about th that, that situation, that position in the coaching going forward. No, I think he was exactly what I was just talking about. You know, he was a guy uh, who was a young coach, really kind of getting his feet, trying to make his niche in the career and uh, was making, making good strides as a recruiter, you know, signed our top top recruit i think he's our top recruit this year still eric olson um well i guess he's not now but no he um, is i believe yeah. oh yeah okay as of then, as of recording of this this podcast okay uh and um so he he'd done exactly what i was talking about and, and he was an exciting young coach and i was very excited to see what he was doing uh i was very impressed by his ability to get those walk-ons up to speed at least to be able to block in a run game um, and so it's not, I don't know. I, 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 I never really feel like it's the end of the world to lose any assistant coach, to be honest with you, because they're going to go, they're going to go. I mean, what other, I mean, you look at Alabama and Clemson and Ohio state and they lose assistant coaches all the time because people want to hire those guys to come, Hey, what you did there, I want you to come do it here. So losing assistant coaches to me is not a big deal. As long as you have a head coach who knows what he's looking for and has a plan for for replacing them with good people. And, you know, we only have one season of hiring for Carl Durrell at this point to know whether he is that guy. But I'd say the results were pretty solid based on his first staff that he put together. So I'm not too worried about it. 
Carl Drill joined us on a Zoom call on Friday talking about the coaching hires. He was also asked about the transfers coming into the program. Robert Barnes, one interesting comment he made there was when I asked him, where is he going to fit in? And he said, well, he can play in space and we don't have a lot of those guys. And so based on his comments, it led me to believe that he's going to be a star back. He also talked about trusting Oliver and Trevor Woods coming in as guys that are going to help them tremendously in the secondary. I don't know. Yeah, again, he didn't come out and say it, but I have a feeling they're going to go to a four-man front, but they're going to be kind of with that that base defense of having to start back out there all the time. And we've seen them with Trustin Oliver being over 200 pounds, Barnes coming in almost at like a linebacker weight that, that could play that role. And so I think yeah. they're going to be – that's what we're going to see out of, out of them going forward, at least is what my expectations are. Barnes and Oliver can take us back to what Davion Taylor brought to the position, which is both a combination of size and athleticism that's next level. And uh, I think both of those guys are in the same kind of category as Davion Taylor, question marks, coming in, but certainly got the tools – to make a difference. I think that statement by Durrell is very interesting insofar as saying we don't have a lot of guys who can play out in space and particularly a linebacker. I would say that's true. And you wonder uh, who he's thinking of in terms of the safeties and such, but that those two particular guys incoming, I think are difference makers on the defense and you can build a defense around those guys. And I, you know, people say, well, you know, the guy didn't even start at at Oklahoma. Well, he did. First of all, he did. And secondly, to the extent that he didn't, he was playing behind a future high-level draft pick. I mean, come on, man. We don't have anybody like that. He's not going to step behind anybody on our team. He has proven to be a high-level Power 5 player, and I think he's got a chip on his shoulder and something to prove now. So I'm excited about that. You know, know, you've mentioned – I don't know if uh, Darrell mentioned – uh, Shroud, the quarterback, but I'm excited he about did. him. Yeah, he said, you know, obviously the expectations are for him to fit and run away. He's already been on campus for a few weeks now. Don't know 100% that he's going to be eligible to play in 2021, but this one-time transfer rule is expected to get approved. And so I probably 85% chance that he's going to be eligible to play this year. Uh, so it, it really is going to be a wide open competition and a better looking competition than, you know, no offense to Tyler Lytle. I'm excited that he's yeah. at UMass okay. and is going to finish out his career there. But let's be honest with Brendan Lewis, what he showed in the bowl game, JT Schrott with his arm talent. I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but you can kind of compare him to Steven Montez a little bit in that regard. Yeah. Uh, Sam Neuer, you want to write him off, but, if you do that, you might be wrong again because right. he proved everybody wrong last year. So right. we'll, I, we'll see there. And and Neuer's a, a great team guy and a leader, you know, and he'll help the other guys get better, you know. So you look at one of the question marks for every coach is how are you going to fill holes? And holes on this team, first of all, we're, we're at the quarterback position. So now we brought in, a, I'd, I'd say, a high-level transfer from a, a pack, at least a traditionally powerful power, power five team. You know, we got Drew Carter coming in, who is a, a who, in my view, is a very top quarterback recruit. You know, hopefully, if we wind up with Millen, he's another guy that adds to it. And and then we, it, I think, if we had all those guys coming in this year, we revolutionize our quarterback room, quite frankly, because the competition last year with just uh, the incoming true freshman and um, Lytle, I don't think was a very good competition. Now it is. Now you got. Uh, if we had all those guys, you would have 
five scholarship guys. Yeah. Five. Yeah. Five. See, I got the five. I was about to say <laughs> just you did. Uh, five guys who could all legitimately be the guy next year. And that's when people get better. You mentioned Clay Millen. That kind of transitions us into our next topic, previewing the regular signing period. See, you signed 17 guys during the early signing period. You're not going to see anywhere near that on Wednesday. It's going to be a few guys, TJ Patu, who yeah. uh, we'd, we'd already did a video on, and I'm excited to put that out there. We mentioned that on our last last podcast. He's a guy that we're both really high on. We're going to see with Ike. I might have butchered his name on our last podcast, so we'll just we'll call him Ike, like you said. Uh, Michigan has offered him, and I think that's going to come down to the wire 50-50 at this point. Uh, but Clay Millen, I just submitted a crystal ball prediction for him with CU, so uh, probably, probably two two or three signings. If Clay Millen falls through and ends up signing with the Buffs, then then I think we've, we've rebuilt our quarterback room in a way that we haven't seen at CU and – well, I don't know. Do we have to? I don't know how far we got to go back. Maybe to the early uh, 2001 sort of era to have that kind of ability and depth in the quarterback room. Certainly remains to see if if they all if any of them live up to that billing. But you know, at some point, CU's got to get a good quarterback just by the law of averages, man. I mean, you know, goodness Lord, we 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 haven't had a really top one for a long time, but. 1997 is is the year that we keep bringing up because that's when Coy Detmer was drafted and they haven't had one since then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I would say that uh, you know we had a couple guys there under uh, uh, under Barnett who at least did a pretty good job of of running a team and keeping us out of trouble. Joel Klatt, Pesavento, yeah. who who else am I forgetting there? Those are the two that were in my head that I was trying to come up with. I'm not sure. Uh, there's one other that's not that's not coming up for me, but yeah, it, you got to go at least back 20 years, roughly 20 years, and that's crazy. So I think we've with this signing period, if if uh, Millen, knock on wood, does sign with us, then I think we've really re reshaped the quarterback position, and there is no more important position on it on a college team in my view. So I'm excited about it. I got my fingers crossed for Ike. Uh, it would break my heart if he. Went to Michigan, but uh, we'll see what happens with that one. And then, like you said, Patu, I think is uh, he may be the most exciting defensive signee this year to me. Going back to when we were looking at and making, you know, making videos and looking at the recruits. On Friday, I'm going to have up my signing day picks for the class of 2021, and I don't hide from my previous picks. I put them all out there, dating back to 2003, I think. TJ Patu, just to give a little preview into that, I think is going to have to be my defensive pick this year for top defensive signing. Yeah, that's who I think too. I mean, you know, there's nobody else that jumps out at me uh, in terms of just what I saw on video uh, from what they're going to do and at a position of really sort of almost extreme need, that linebacker spot. So I'm very excited about him too. He'd be mine as well. Like I mentioned, we're on the same page. In-state recruiting, I don't know if it needs to be a priority. Focus on Texas, California. But you, you do want to put out offers to those top kids and, and make a run at them. Are there any 2022 in-state recruits that you feel like should be top priorities for this staff? George Fitzpatrick, the big offensive tackle at Cherry Creek. And beyond that, I got to tell you, the, in, the in-state class, well, Gavin Sawchuck, but, you know, that's not a reality. No, yeah. You know, I mean, that, that goes without saying, obviously. 
but I don't think we have any shot there. Uh, but to me, George Fitzpatrick is the guy. Get him, and I don't really give. I really don't care if we get anybody else from in state, because there's there's nobody else. I guess you know a lot of people are are pretty excited about Grant Page. Got some nice offers and everything. But he grew up but, in CU family housing, and you yeah. know how close that is to everything at CU. Oh my God! Yeah. I, I don't think I don't think he's going to be a buff. I, I just think that. You grow up there based on talking to him. He likes you. It's not like he's had a bad childhood, but I mean, but he's hard, also, to, hard, to, hard to blame him for wanting to get out and experience yeah, and, something. But he's also not a game. He's not, I mean, he's not a program changer to me. I don't know. You know, he, he's sort of, I, he's six two, one eighty, 180, maybe. Uh, there's just nothing about him that, that jumps out to me and goes, we got to have that guy. And then, you know, there's, five or six, maybe seven offensive tackles in the state this year. And I got to be honest with you, um, Fitzpatrick is the only one that really kind of lights my fire. We'll see what the others do in their senior year. And, and I mean, I'm not saying any of them are, are stiffs and no good, but, you know, frankly, if we could get us a, uh, some big offensive tackles out of the South or out of California, they're usually better players to be perfectly honest with you. Don't want to get hate mail or anything. But we see a lot of offensive tackles come out of the state of Colorado um, who don't amount, though, a lot. The other kid, I guess, that would be intriguing to me is Connor Jones, the kid committed to Michigan out of Palmer Ridge. Um, so you did not offer. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting to me what's going on there as well. Uh, so this might be a year if we, if, we can, if we have football, we can go to actually watch the games to go out and watch some of these offensive tackles in person and see what they're made of. But as of right now, the only guy that really lights my fire in state is George Fitzpatrick, the big offensive tackle. Doesn't that feel like another world ago, another lifetime ago, where we were able to do that? Yeah, be down on the sidelines and actually watch games. You know, it's like we, we some <clears throat> from time to time we watch older movies or older sporting events and we see people in the stands. It's like, <gasps> oh my yeah. God, they're all crowded together. Oh. And, and, uh, <laughs> You just look at everything differently now, you know, so fingers crossed. Hopefully we get back to some level of normality as we start getting this uh, vaccine out to people. Yeah, that would be nice. And, you know, 12 months ago, Mel Tucker was a head coach at CU still. Oh, God, right. Yeah. It just, and, it, it just shows you this year has moved slower than molasses, as they say. It, it's really unbelievable. We were, we were we were getting ready for the, you know, the second signing day. Um which, you know, I was going to make a comment earlier about uh, we were talking about the regular signing period preview. You, you remember the, the whole year used to come down to this Wednesday. And now now it's like an afterthought. It's like, uh, oh, well, you know, it might be a couple of guys signed, but everybody yeah. signed in December now. And But I, you know, you, you think back even a few years ago and everything boiled down to the, the first Wednesday. Was it the first Wednesday in February, isn't it? Yep, it still yeah. is. But yeah, like you said, it's different yeah. now. And you remember how big it used to be and waiting and, and you know, we're going to be silent commits and we're going to be secret uh, flips and what have you. And I don't know, uh, there was a lot of fun and excitement in that that's kind of gone. Yeah, I agree. I miss that. I, I do. I If you're going to have an early signing period, do it like basketball, where a lot of these kids to sign in July or August before their season, you know, it allows them to get that out of the way. Yeah. Now, you know, given this COVID year, that would have been strange, but they never ended up getting a, a chance to take visits anyways. But right. now you're now you're able to take visits late spring, early summer in the normal circumstances. So I, I would like to see that happen at some point. 
you know, this year, C was still playing. They, they were preparing for the Alamo Bowl when the signing day right. happened, which was strange. Well, when we hope it, we hope it's not strange anymore. Right, you know? right, right. Here's hoping we're in the middle of bowl uh, preparations every year from here on out on that day. But you know, I don't know. It, it just used to be such a big thing, where it's really what the, where where all the boards began and started with. You know, that that other board that would 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 break down every signing day. That was uh, I don't know. Just there was a lot of fun about it. There's a lot of anxiety about it. You know, all the chips were in that one basket and. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your expectations just going into 2021 Colorado, obviously coming off a four and two season, you've made these coaching changes. It does seem like Carl Drell is building this, not necessarily just for 2021, but you know, for the next five, 10 years, uh, does that temper your expectations or, or do you, do you keep them pretty high? I don't know that I have expectations yet. I want to see if we get spring ball. Um, I want to see what happens in the world and, and are we able to get back to some level of normality in terms of the weight room workouts. I think Shannon Turley gives me a lot of excitement as far as where we're going to go offensively. Um, the move to, I think Chris Wilson is an upgrade over Tyson Summers. We'll see if that remains to be seen. I, for one, have some significant question marks about Darren Shiverini as offense coordinator. So uh, I think he needs to grow and develop and step it up a little bit. I think he's his, his pattern now in two different times has been, they come out of the gate like world-class sprinters and then they don't have the gas at the end of the season to keep scoring and, and moving the ball. So he's got to figure that out. Is it becoming, because he becomes predictable and, and other teams know how to stop him <clears throat> or do you know we just too many injuries towards the end i don't know what remains to be seen so i have some question marks but i'm very excited about carl durrell he seems to have a level of um trying to get the word professionalism calm i don't know he he, he to me is like he, this just Cal calculated in. maybe this is well well this what, what just popped into my mind is like um some of my favorite commanding officers in the Navy, you know, like they understood the gravity of what they were doing, you know, with people's lives in the balance and, and things like that. And he, and he strikes me as that kind of a person, that kind of uh, uh, measured, responsible, mature, you know, not in it for himself kind of guy. No, not saying he's got a small ego because I don't think he does, but I think he's really in this at, at this point for his own legacy maybe, but also for the CU program and for the kids that he's coaching and what have you. And I don't think, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, he's here to get himself ready for the next job. I think he wants this job to be what defines Carl Durrell. And I'm excited about that. And, and I, I just like, you know, I know some people want him to do things faster, but I like the way he does things. He takes his time and he gets it right. So expectations this year, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's too early for me to say. I, I'm all, you know me. I'm always optimistic. I always think we're going to a ball game. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm. I totally understand what Carl Durrell means with throwing out 2020 because it was so different and so weird and so strange that I don't think you can take any any lessons from it at all. 
So the, the one thing I'm super excited about is to see what uh, Shannon Turley and uh, Coach Rod together will put for, uh, up, up front for us for an offensive line this year. I'm super excited about that. Well, we need it for your film room features next year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm still working on that one thing, and I, I okay. still want to do it. All right. Well, I, 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 my parting shot would be this. I still believe – all respect to Coach Rod, I still believe our best lineman last year was Frank Phillip. I'm super excited about that guy. All right. Well, again, the regular signing day on Wednesday is not going to be as big as the early signing period, but we're still going to have hopefully a, a few videos for you that William and I have shot. So definitely tune into our coverage there. William, thanks for taking the time out again to join me on this. And uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in. <laughs>